Welcome to the Carrot and Stick podcast, a podcast where we look to really get under the skin of the sales management world to understand what makes our wonderful industry tick. Today, I have a wonderful conversation with Dougie Lone, the CRO of SourceWhale, a recruitment tech provider. I've known Dougie since we started One Up Sales, back from when he was an AE Audro, and seeing how far he's come has been absolutely delightful. And today, we talked through a number of topics, very, very broad ones, ranging from process and people and communication. Three pretty common words in the business world, but we dig into examples of each one, understand what a sales playbook really is, for example, in actual reality and implementation, and dig through some ideas around objectives, strategies, and tactics. It's it's such a good laugh. Dougie is a top guy. I'm sure you're going to absolutely love this episode. So let's just get straight into it. Dougie, delightful to speak to you, mate. Honestly, I think since I set up the business seven years ago, you are one name that I've just seen seemingly everywhere, whether it's Audro, whether it's now at Sourcewell, whether it's just watching the old school journeys. I remember when you first went to Tokyo and you got lost on the underground or something, right? <laughs> I still a, remember that's that. a great memory. A great, great memory. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely need to get better at figuring out where I'm going before I land in a country where I don't know how to speak the language. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a train station in Tokyo. Um, I think it's Shibuya Station or Shinjuku Station, where essentially you you it has like so many levels to it. So it's got like seven or eight levels to it. And essentially, the long story short of it was, I got down. I was so jet lagged. I'd been up for about 26, 27 hours, and I just got lost in the bowels of this train station for probably around forty minutes, forty five <laughs> minutes, to the point where. I just sat on my suitcase and was like, how am I getting out of this? Um, and luckily, luckily, um, I was managed to, to buy a map. Um, that's I couldn't get any signal, so I had to buy a map. And um, and someone came up who, who spoke English and was able to, to help me out of there. So, yeah, close shave. I could still be be um, be wandering around the, the bills of that station today if it wasn't for that Lost map. in the bowels of Shinjuku. The, the mysterious story of Dougie never is allowed to leave Shinjuku <laughs> Station. Imagine a world. <laughs> but, yeah, like that's I said, honestly, mate, I've, I've really enjoyed following the journey. I always love the little stories that I see across LinkedIn as well, so keep up on that. But obviously, the big focus on this is around sales management, sales leadership. And what I've really enjoyed doing across the last couple of episodes is basically asking what it's a tactical advice or what three key areas of leadership that you might be passionate about or that you think is valuable to other people do you have? Give me the headlines and we'll dig into each one one by one. Yeah, sure. Um, Really good question. Um, And... I think up until about five minutes ago, I wasn't too sure in terms of what we were going to be covering. So this this is probably not going to be well well prepped uh, well prepped on this one. So you put me in the spot. Um, I think the the first one is probably around uh, process. Um, and anyone who's listened to this that's worked with me in the past will probably be be either laughing or crying at the thought of it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very big on process and how and how kind of uh, efficient and effective processes can help people deliver the the best results and the best outcomes. Um, another element would probably be people, but more specifically around um, coaching and engaging people on a one-to-one basis. So maybe you're a first-time uh, manager or first-time leader, um, or maybe you're taking over a team where you haven't led them in the past and, and how do you put that together. Um, and then the third one for me would probably be communication. And like, you know, how do you make sure that you're communicating clearly with people, ensuring that people have an understanding of the vision, the journey and where you're going and and, um, and what part they, they have to play on to, to, to get there and so, uh... get the result. <laughs> Real niche-focused areas there. <laughs> we can talk about all three. all three of those could be a podcast episode by themselves. I love it. But it's good because it means we've got so many areas that we can float across, right? Now, you touched on a really good point there around process, right? I think in terms of like where we've both been, you know, in, in rec tech companies that have kind of grown to 30, 40 plus heads, process does become top dollar, right? If in order for you to scale, you need to have good processes in place. We'll definitely start there. So 
I'll leave the floor to you then. Talk to me about process. Why does it make some people you've worked with cry and why does it make some happy? Uh, great question. Really, really good question. So I think for, for me, I'll, I'll probably just speak and, and, and start with a big mistake that I made um, around process and that'll probably tell you why some people laugh and some people will, will cry. Um, <laughs> okay. We were going through, a, we were going through a, a really interesting period of growth at Audro at the time and it got to the stage where we were starting to, to hire people and, and bring new, new individuals into the business. Um, and this was pre-pandemic, right? So people worked in an office together, that, that kind of that old old school way where, where, where we used to have people in an office. Um, and what we quickly realized was there was, um, there was numerous things that just weren't working as well as we, would, we, we, we thought they would. So I remember, for example, one of the first or, or some of the first salespeople that we hired, we would bring them in, we would say, hey, just come and shadow me almost, kind of, this is how I do a demo. Um, this is kind of, you know, how, how, it, how it looks, how it works. Um, and uh, yeah, like, you, you know, are you all good on that? Cool, we're gonna probably start putting you on demos tomorrow, start doing some business development, super startup, right? Like, and, and to be honest, looking back on it now, um, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be that person coming into the business and that was your kind of onboarding and training, but but that's that's the way it was. Um, and that was fine for like the first kind of few people, um, uh, you know, as we grew, but then what started to happen was we started to notice kind of cracks and simple things. Um, there's a, I'll, I'll name drop him, a, a chap called Gianni, who was an account exec and, and still, you know, as a, as a senior account exec now at Audro. And I remember sitting down with him one day to to go through his pipeline. So it was like, like first pipeline meeting, can you bring along your pipeline? It'd be good to, be good to talk that through and, and see where we're at. Um, so he comes into the room and he sits down and he, and he opens his notepad and he says, right, okay, so at demo book stage, I've got this. And um, and I've got this and I was like, well, stop a second. I was like, you know, bring up, you know, HubSpot, you know, the, the CRM system. Let's let's look, let's look through things in, in detail. And he turned around to me and he said, what's HubSpot? And I was like, oh, you're kidding God. me. He'd, he'd been working <laughs> with us for nearly a month and no one had shown him how to use the CRM system. He didn't know anything about it. He'd literally oh, been God. tracking That's everything him. on his notepad that whole time. So... Um, you know, we laugh about that one, um, but I think, you know, to the, to the more extreme end, I probably got to the point where that kind of kicked off a, a, a desire in me to have process for everything to the point where actually sometimes we were putting process in place that was a little bit detrimental as well. Um, process for process's sake. So um, I'd like to think even those that, that cry when they think about it do so in a lighthearted manner um, and, and, and not through, through, through anything else. But I'll stop there. I don't know if that, that kind of... Um, gives you a little bit of a background and an opening before we go into it, any further. It does, yeah, and I've got so much I'd love to dig into around that. So one thing, I mean, this is the kind of challenge we're facing as a business as well, and I imagine you've probably got some thoughts on it too. Documentation. We've got some people internally that love documentation, reading through it, understanding it. Others always want to get on a call to show, have or be shown by someone how to do these things. Now, the difficulty there yeah. is you can't expect a leader for every single person that comes in to spend three, four, maybe even six hours of someone walking them through these key processes and then making sure they're being followed and reinforced. So how do you make sure processes stick? It's not a case of show it once and then it's done. It's never going to fall apart again. How do you keep them reinforced over time? Great question. Um, yeah, you've opened up a Pandora's box for me here. So um, <laughs> Go on, my, I love it. My, my, so my favorite approach to this is the deliver, learn, test model. So essentially, I think that my, my belief is that a functioning, let's, we're talking about sales, right? A functioning sales department of account executives and SDRs will really struggle to, to operate on an effective and efficient basis if they don't have a written playbook, right? There has to be some form of cohesive written playbook which outlines um, everything that they expected to do from start to finish, but not just how they should do it, but why they're doing it as well, right? And I think that's, that's key. Um, you're right, everyone has different learning styles, but there needs to be that kind of backbone almost to, to the organization, that kind of central central source of truth. Um, 
when training, onboarding new reps, or when you're trying to upskill people, like I said, the lover and learn test. So essentially, the way that I've done it in the past and uh, and still do it today is we would uh, create a training session based upon a section of that playbook, and we would deliver that training session in a live environment, so a webinar essentially, um, or, or over a, over a Zoom or whatever it might be. We would then set the the individuals away and pair them up to go and then learn that together. So they would almost um, we would give them tasks, so like role plays, etc., that they could do to 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 learn that. I'm a big fan of role play. I think it's really important in a in a sales team, um, and we would then test the outcome of that. Um, so we would use scorecard and methodology, which again I'll go into in a little bit more detail. Where essentially we would sit down with them and say, hey, that this is what we're going to expect from you at the end, um, and you know it's on both of you to work together to help you both pass that 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 test, if you like. Um, so we actually implemented that, you know, if I look at onboarding um, at Audro and, and now what we do at SourceWell, we implemented that over a four-week process um, where we had a pass out at the end. Um, we'd essentially, they would deliver and learn test kind of Monday to Friday. There would be a weekly kind of test, if you like, at the end on the on the Friday, which was a, a mini version of the, the scorecard. And then that would kind of uh, culminate at the, the end where it would be a kind of two to three hour session um, where it was everything from you know, how to log things on the CRM system so you didn't do what Gianni did and turn up and not know how to manage your pipeline through to <laughs> discovery, uh, you know, uh, the demo uh, proposals. Um, and we'd even role play things like calls and calls and things like that at the end as well. At Audra, we also did that in our customer success team where the pass out would actually be the CSM delivering a live kind of Audra training session to a room of some of their peers, um, myself and then Ryan, our CEO uh, as well. So. Um, and again, we made a big, a big thing about that. And one thing that we always made sure was that as we went through that deliver and learn test model, is you can almost catch where people's knowledge is not up to scratch along the way. We never set people off and said, "Here you go, see you in four weeks." We said, "Here you go, see you tomorrow, or see you this afternoon." And that was really the way that we kind of, you know, with small bite-sized chunks as we as we went along it. Um, mm. And that was really good because it meant that we never really got to the stage where we did have some people have to reset pass out. But we never got to the stage where anyone really turned up and was horrendously off the boil at the pass out stage because we were catching that on a kind of almost daily or weekly basis on the on the lead up to it. Nice, I like that. And to go back to a point you mentioned that kind of sits at the heart of that, a playbook, right? I think playbooks is it's like the word strategy to me. Everyone says it, everyone has a different idea what they yeah. mean, what they look like, what they're actually for, right? So what does a playbook look like in your world? Is it a word document? Is it some online documentation? Is it a PowerPoint presentation that's made all pretty? What is a playbook to you and what does it look like? Yeah, great question. So a playbook to me has changed over the years. Um, a playbook to me, Audro, was a um, Apple Mac, kind of, you know, the Apple templated, what do they call it? Keynote, I think, was the thing that I had. On yeah, Keynote, yeah. Um, so, Keynote, so Keynote, a kind of Keynote deck um, that grew from being a couple of pages to our sales playbook was maybe 170, 180 pages at the end. Um, and that format was super useful. Or, or the, certainly the feedback that I got was useful um, for a couple of reasons. One was because it didn't have lengthy stories in it. It was it encouraged kind of bullet point learning, if you like, um, naturally because it's a slide deck versus kind of words after words. Um, and we could link to things externally on it, like uh, videos for, around the platform and stuff. Um, and actually, surprisingly, it's easy, to, really easy to find things on a slide deck. You just control F and you type in the word and you can get taken to it. Take straight um, down, yeah. I know exactly right so so that was so that was pretty straightforward i think obviously over time that does become slightly intimidating it is difficult to keep it up to speed and up to date as well um or certainly that was my perception of it 
at Sourceware, we use a platform called Notion, which I think is the kind of hip tech kind of startup vibe thing now. It's, where, it's know, mega, it's isn't it? We don't use it internally because we use a competitor to it. But like, I personally use Notion in my own life for stuff. Like, I think everyone knows what it is outside of maybe those yeah. in recruitment. But it seems that a lot of people do know what Notion is. 100%, right? And that's the thing. So, so, and again, like you said, it's mega. It's a gateway for organizing stuff and bringing it together online. It's it's like a Wikipedia for your business is, is often how people kind of describe it to me. Um, personally, I, I think Notion could be a little bit better. I'm not a huge fan of the formatting of it. Like I think that sometimes it can, can give the impression if you're trying to teach somebody 160 pages worth of content, for example, then you really need to be very clever with how you pull that together and how you display that information and things. Um, which is it's probably the point that we're at right now where we need to, to kind of streamline some of it. But yeah, I think those would be the two systems. I think in terms of the format of it, though, like I said, um, is really having that kind of clear um, structure to it. Always very much starting with like who you are as an organization, what your value proposition is, what's expected of you as an individual coming into the role. And, and a big one for me as well, and this touches on the, the last part around communication, is um, how you know if you're doing a good job. Like, again, I, I can often find that as companies grow really quickly, there can be periods of time where as a, you know, there should never be a point where as a go-to-market contributor, I don't actually know if I'm doing a good job or not. And I have no way of knowing that unless my manager tells me I'm doing a good job or not. So those were kind of the foundations on it. Um, but I've got a kind of slightly more updated format for that now in terms of how we use that and uh, Notion. But, yeah. Awesome. So really there's loads of learnings in terms around with the playbooks, the what, how, and the why. The why probably I think is really valuable. I know lots of people want context onto why something is the way it is, not just to be told here it is, go and do it. It helps to include them in the Absolutely. context conversation. But on process itself, not process for process's sake, and also by the sound from you guys at Odro, doing it in a way that doesn't scale to begin with and kind of figuring out how to scale it later on is arguably most important because your guys' whole like pass through the daily check-ins, all the rest of it, that wouldn't scale well for like one manager to 30 people, for example. It's something you either try and teach yeah. everyone to do to each other, as you say, as a pairing, or you just optimize it and scale it better over time, right? Absolutely, 100%. And I think that's it. Like, you know, we were never, we were never, you know, we focused more so on the the outcome for the, on, on that one. It was like, how do we get good quality people coming out at the end of it? And how do we make sure that we as leaders and as an organization give people the best possible start to life in our in our company? Um, you know, I think there's been mistakes that I've made over the years where I've hired people and, and, you know, I have to take responsibility when they haven't worked out because ultimately, we didn't give them the best onboarding. We didn't give them the best experience when they came into the company. And there's one, you know, scenario that sticks out very, you know, very well for me in terms of, uh, or very much sticks out for me, sorry, in terms of, you know, and that that kind of, you know, motivated me to make sure that I didn't put anybody in that position again. So, um, yeah, I think that's a focus on the outcome rather than scalability was the was the big one for us on our playbook. Um, and then naturally over time, um, you know, it, it becomes more scalable as you find different nuances and ways to deliver that um, that, that still have the same impact. Spot on. And I guess that links really nicely to the second point you mentioned, which is around people, right? Coaching and engaging them, for example. The coaching point feels very naturally linked to the whole like, process piece because you coach them how to go through that, but engagement then is a nice extension to it. So as a philosophy, summarize this point to me around people. What is it about people? What do you think about the way it should be handled and how do you deal with people? Because you've managed a lot of them over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I say, I'm a big believer that no one comes to work to do a bad job, right? That's that's at its core. That is like my, my kind of my belief system when I work with people is I don't genuinely believe that someone woke up this morning and thought, do you know what? I'm going to go in and consciously do a bad job today. 
Um, so for me, it's, it typically comes down to two categories. Does the person lack the skill to be able to, to do the role? Or, you know, if they're, if they're struggling, for example, or do they lack the will? Um, you know, is there, is there something else in there that we need to, they need to uncover? Um, I'll go into that framework in a little bit more detail in a second. But when I, whenever I hire someone or if I take over a, a, the running of a team of people who have previously been in the business that I've also been in the business with them but maybe haven't had that relationship with them or maybe like recently when I've joined Sourcewell where, you know, there's established teams but I've not really been involved in their, their natural growth within the, the company or their organic growth in the company up until that point. The big important thing for me is always to just understand why they do what they do every day. Um, and going back to the why of the playbook is, like, because we can do all the coaching in the world, Derry, right? You and I could sit down right now and we could talk about, hey, here's how we do a, you know, a presentation or here's how we run a podcast or here's how we pull a playbook together. But if, if we don't understand the intrinsic motivators behind it, then I'm asking that person to turn up and give time out of their day, as am I, to focus on a con, uh, you know, content of a subject um, where I don't really know actually what's in it for them, barring them just doing what I've asked them to do. Does that make sense? Because that's the real kind of, that's the yeah. my big fear is that, I get into a coaching situation or relationship with someone where they're turning up and they're saying, yeah, 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 I'll definitely go and do that. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I don't really feel like this fits with what I want to do longer term. And they're just doing yeah. it because I'm their boss and their boss has asked them to turn up and do this, this session. And I feel like that's where you see super low engagement on, on coaching. But I don't know if you've found that or, or if that's something that you've experienced over the, over the years. Well, it's an interesting point you got there around the whole like um, the intrinsic drive. I won't name any names, but I think you know exactly where this is going to have come from. Someone once said to yeah. me, like, no one wakes up in the morning wanting to sell CRM tech or sell a sales yeah. platform, for example. No one wakes up wanting to do that. They wake up because they've got aspirations in life. They want to buy a car. They want to buy a house. They want to achieve things or see social success. Whatever it might be, their driver isn't to wake up and be, yeah, man, I was born to sell sales software. No one wakes up saying that. Yeah. Let's be real about it. And although it's cool to still see that the work you're producing, the platform you're doing has a great success on people and their success as a business, that's a good feeling to have. That's not your driver in life, realistically. And I think one with you and where you're saying is find what really drives someone at their core and really try to exploit is the wrong word, but kind of expose that and shows to them, right, this is why you're driven. This is what you want to achieve. And that is why being here will help you get to where you want to be, right? you've absolutely hit the nail on the head and it's linking those two things together, right? Like if I think about the times when I've been most passionate about the work that I do, it's because I've been able to see that by executing that, I'm able to achieve the outcome that I'm looking to achieve. Does that make sense? And that's not yeah. some sort of like succession style cold thing to be able to say, you know, I think people are worried about being able to be honest with themselves about that is that you're right. Like no one was, very few people are passionate about a particular X, Y, or Z thing. They're passionate about the outcome and they become even more passionate about that thing, like selling this type of software or that type of software, the work that they do on a day-to-day -day basis or, or leading other people or whatever it might be, because they help, it helps them understand that they start to see those little bits of success. I mean, they start yes. to see those little bits of success. They know that the more they put in, the more they, the more they get out. And, and it kind of creates that cycle, doesn't it? And that's why often, um, you know, people's passions, et cetera, change over the years. And that's another really important thing to note as well is people's motivations change. Um, you know, sitting down with that, with someone on the first day in the organization to understand why and, and what drives them every day and why they come to work. It's very different to what it might look like in three months or six months or mm. nine months or even just how they feel on any given day, right? Like you need to, from my perspective, I had to realize that sometimes people don't always have a straight answer to that question. And it's, sometimes it's actually one of the first times they've thought about that question as well. So um, kind of almost 
keeping that conversation going is really important um, if you want to make sure that people are engaged in that kind of long-term coaching plan. And it's your responsibility yeah. as a leader to, to update and adopt that coaching plan over time to marry both what that individual needs from their perspective, but also what the organization needs as well. And ultimately, the, the best relationship in coaching is where, you know, the leader or, you know, the leader gets what they need because they're able to, to kind of engage with someone and, and, and achieve an outcome. The individual gets what they need, which is ultimately the, the increase in their skills so that they can achieve their kind of long-term goal um, or, or their main motivator. And the organization gets what it needs because ultimately you have a strong leader-contributor relationship, which is delivering results for the for the company. So I feel like when those three things align, that's when, that's when coaching's at its most successful. But um, I think that's probably more uncommon than it is common, um, I would say nowadays. I know producer Callum is going to absolutely love that sentence and use that in a clip on social media at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get away. That was like podcast gold, Dougie. Real nice. I love that. Um, no, it's all really good. And you mentioned um, the word will earlier as well. Skill and will. I imagine you probably read that from high output management, right? It was like um, the belief of when you look at someone's tasks, it's either they are low skill, will, medium or high. And based on where they sit in that journey, so you have to offer them different levels of support, right? Um, low skill and well-being, someone's either not really got the motivation to do it, they haven't got the skills to do it, whatever it might be. So you've got to be a bit more micromanagery when someone's high skill. Well, and this can vary based on roles or sorry, tasks within their role rather than just the role overall. That's where you kind of say, right, there's the goal. I'm here to support, but you feel confident doing it away you go and do it. And it is about as a coach varying your style based on what they need you for in that moment. Right. Absolutely. And I think that kind of, um, you, you had something in the, the, the people use the term man management, right? Which I think is an, is an old school term now. Um, and certainly it's talked a lot about in sport, football or, or soccer, I think is a, is a good example of that. But, um, don't tell me you started no saying soccer. Size, I have to. They haven't, they so haven't twisted your arm. Oh have, no. Honestly, I see football now and it's kind of confuses me. Am I talking about American football? Or am I talking about oh, British no. football? Or, 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 okay, or why have you done this football? to us, man? I know, I know. It's painful. It's painful. I'm sorry. I still drink iron brew. Right, there we go. That's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah. That's that's a Scottish thing, though. You can keep that one. You can keep that one. <laughs> that's how I keep myself grounded. Um, sorry, but yeah, the man management piece is, um, is yeah. You've got to be aware of that as well. Again, some mistakes I made early in my career was I I tried to lead everybody in the same way and I tried to coach everyone in the same way. And you know, I kind of um, had some high performers where. I tried to coach them in a way that wasn't conducive to what they needed at, at that time and kind of led to some friction, um, which I probably, you know, was unhealthy for everyone, but was, was healthy in the long run because it helped me to learn what I needed to learn, um, you know, on that, on that side of it as well. But again, I think coaching is one of those things that you naturally, if you're passionate about it, and I, and I mean passionate about it because something that's really changed for me over the years, Derry, is like, I'm really grateful for the opportunity I've had in my career so far. I mean, I'm still young. I'm, I'm not even 30 yet, but I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I've had to kind of grow and develop and experience things that otherwise I would not have been able to, to experience. Um, you know, being able to be at the coalface in something like Audro was phenomenal. And, you know, a big thing for me now is helping other people kind of achieve their goals. And, uh, you know, I think when you realise when you when you get to, to the point of, of, you know, not just leading departments, but leading whole functions within businesses that, you know, and this is not, you know, something that, you know, it's just a sound bite to, 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 to sound good is that actually genuinely, if you help people achieve their goals and their their goals are aligned to the organization then naturally the organization achieves its outcomes as well. Um, and as a byproduct of that, I achieve 
I achieve what I'm looking to achieve. So for me, it's almost put the people first, help them achieve what they want to achieve and make sure that in your hiring processes, you're hiring people who want to be on the same path and the same journey as the company and work with that. The company will achieve its goals and naturally the kind of, you know, everything else will take care of itself. Um, and I think that's really important on that, that man management piece or, or kind of uh, individual coaching piece as well. Mm, really, really good point as well. And it's, it's one thing I was going to touch on earlier when you kind of mentioned it around people's motivations can change and wanting to try and align those to the company. There's something in Radical Candor, I imagine you've read the book. I know you read tons of books. Uh, Radical Candor speaks about rock stars versus superstars, how you have your rock stars are the ones who, um, in terms of like career development, it's not their number one priority right now. They're having a family, they're moving house. They've got other things going on where they want to put their time and energy. They're still a high performer. Everyone's a high performer as they should be in your organization. But rock stars aren't too focused on their trajectory right now, whereas your superstars are the ones who are saying, right now, developing my career, that is one of my top priorities. I want to grow. I want more coaching. I want to be able to get promoted. I want to climb the ladder, essentially, right? And the kind of difference you get between those two states where someone says, right, you know what, actually, like developing skills, all that kind of stuff is great, but it's just not my number one right now. I've got other things to focus on outside of work, whereas those that do want to put in the extra time and find events to go to in the evening, you know, do courses in their own time, things like that that's where you get the separation in terms of what's driving someone at that moment in time and it's really important to identify in someone if i'm really driving them to grow and develop and push themselves out there is it the right thing for them right now and you have to sort of identify that yourself first before you can administer the right level of motivation for them i completely agree and the the rock star example let's say for it's it's someone who is quite happy where they are and, and again i had this with, with someone at the time who has actually now gone on to take and, and has now Promote, being promoted a couple of times and, and now has a kind of senior leadership position. But at that point in time, when we were working together, didn't have that kind of, they, they wanted to simply just feel comfortable in, and, and, and what they were doing first before they before they looked to anything moving be, forward. Be great at their they current role, right? Exactly, exactly. But we're a high mm. performer, right? So but how do you coach that person compared to someone else? Because everyone deserves some form of coaching. And, and the coaching relationship that we ended up developing was a kind of as and when. It was a listen when you find yourself in a scenario that you feel that you're you're slightly challenged by or or you want a second opinion on feel free to throw it over to me with your suggested solution and we can we use this term called red team blue team you know we would kind of red team blue team it and and, and kind of have an unbiased view of it and see see where it was best to go go next or or i would be a you know on a pipeline review or something and, and that person's name would come up related to some work they were doing the customer success perspective and i might then throw them over some some feedback on the spot but there was it wasn't as organized does that make sense we still had our weekly one-to-ones we still had our monthly business reviews we still had our qbrs but we weren't kind of doing intense kind of weekly desk side coaching or or any of that kind of stuff with their um either directly with me or with their manager at that, that point in time but that person's life changed and, and what they wanted to achieve post that was different and They've then gone on to, to achieve really good things and, and really great things, and and that came from much more structured, organised, dedicated, process-driven coaching. Um, after that point, so yeah, you've hit me on the head. And I think so much of it just has to be a deliberate conversation about it, right? Like I know I'm definitely not purpose yeah. um, like spot on at this, and I guarantee some of my team will go, "You ever done this for me?" <laughs> but like I think it's almost being willing to have that conversation with people and say, "What is it that you really want to get out of the next three years or so?" And if someone's saying to me, a great example is my my product manager, Alex Wiley, wants to be a head of product and wants to grow there. And I've said to him, okay, here are the three things that I need to see for me to feel comfortable putting you into that role. What can we do to support you getting there? And one is giving him the chance to demonstrate the skills at work. And the second is getting him a coach to make sure he's got someone who's walked that path already that can guide him there as quickly as possible. Whereas others, they don't need external coaching and mentors right now. Their focus is getting themselves out of the day job and focused on being a strategical leader 
they don't need the extra coaching they don't need the extra kind of like development it's much more let me just focus on handing these things over to my team so i can focus on being a leader two phenomenally high performing leaders two very very different ones that they need right now and having that honest conversation i think at least is the best thing you can do just just ask if nothing else otherwise you're acting on what you assume is what they want it may well not be right Absolutely. And how many times to make those assumptions as well? I think it's much more common than people. I, I still have to check myself sometimes, Derek. Like, I, mm. I have to still sometimes remind myself, like, wow, when was the last time I had that conversation with that person? And yeah, like, was I having that conversation with them at a point where, you know, it was, uh, you know, the environment was in the right time, the environment was the right place. You, you get what I mean? Like, were they, were they being super clear and honest with me about, were they clearing themselves from what they wanted and therefore were they clear and honest with me? And is it actually the right time to be checking back in on that? And what you've just highlighted probably takes us on to number three, which is communication. Um, so I think career pathways are a really important thing. So being able to highlight to people exactly the five or six kind of key core skills with with some detail around it that you would expect from that next role that they're looking to move into. And then being super clear with them on what those milestones are to, to achieve that. I think like, like you said, um, and you know, it sounds quite similar to, to maybe what you'd said there around with Alex, but for me is, Again, learning from the mistakes, I've often sometimes put in the past progression plans in place with people, which were, yeah, you know, if you're able to do X, Y, and Z, but none of it was tangible. It was very much like, you know, be an effective communicator and do X, Y, and Z. And the problem with that is like, that person has, going back to what I said earlier, no way of knowing if they're doing a good job or not in relation to that career pathway. Sales numbers are easy, right? But when, as soon as you start getting out of a kind of AE role into a senior AE role or a lead role or a management role or anything like that, you're, you your behaviours and your kind of non-core skills start to play a huge part. Um, so having those, going back to the career pathway, having those milestones in place, which are super tangible events with a date um, alongside them, gives everyone a, a, an honest um, an honest goal and an honest way of communicating with each other whether things are on track or not. Because career pathways don't always go to plan. They're not a guarantee no. of success. They're not a guaranteed promotion. But being able to sit down at that first milestone, a bit like the love and learn test and say, hey, listen, we're off track here slightly. Let's move that out by four or five weeks, but let's have that feedback conversation as to why we didn't hit it by the deadline we thought we would in the first place. Is this the right time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and going back on it. But I think having that, having those regular check-in points, that open communication is really important. Um, and that's how I kind of tie that coaching and, um, and, and, and playbook stuff together as well, because... Um, you know, ultimately people will follow the playbook so that they can achieve the results as long as the playbook's effective. They'll take coaching so that they can enhance those results or enhance themselves. Um, and ultimately they then want that to, to lead to some form of career progression for them. And the business has to be able to communicate what that pathway looks like to them so that they, they have that motivation to, to move forward. Mm. One word that you used earlier was vision. And for me, vision is up there with one of those words in business that is used a lot when people don't really know what it actually means. Things like strategy is another great example of that word, I think, that many say, and everyone has a different idea of what it actually means. So to you, yeah. when you're talking about this vision and the journey, talk to you about tangibles. How, how are you communicating? Maybe give an example here if you want from Audro or from SourceWhale. Yeah. How have you communicated this vision and really seen that have an impact on someone in terms of their motivation, their drive, in terms of their feeling like they're aware of what's going on in the business for example where has vision made a difference and what does it mean to you absolutely so let me i read a great book a really good book um and ironic because you told me i read books all the time which is true um by alistair campbell um called winning um which was 
Google it. It's a great book, right? It looks at all of these people throughout different elements of their careers, um, politics, sport, um, everyday life, and it looks at what do they have in common. And um, Alistair Campbell talks in that book about the kind of three letters that are super important to him. Um, first one is objective, second one is strategy, and the third one is tactics. And I think for me, that was the very first time that I was able to kind of like almost see, touch, and feel a vision in any form of way, um, or, mm. or any sort of kind of plan that would be able to kind of crystallize things and pull everything together. So the objective is super simple, right? Like the objective is, say for example, it's personal and the example he uses is to lose weight. The objective is to lose weight. Um, you know, the strategy to do that is to move more, eat less, right? But what are the tactical things that then go into that? So I'm gonna to go to the gym on a Monday at 10 a.m. I'm gonna eat 1600 calories on a Tuesday at 4 p.m. You get the idea, right? I'm not gonna go into diet plans and everything else, but what he does is he very cool. I thought this was becoming a PT session then for a second, Dougie. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I am packing a lot of weight recently, so so maybe. <laughs> you you maybe run a lot, it. though. You run a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the excuse that I give myself for the burgers I've been eating over the over the holidays. Um, <laughs> but in terms of going um, back to that point, so um, really for me, a vision. You know, people could talk about this vision being something that's super fluffy, like we want to be, you know, the number one is X, Y, and Z. And, and by the way, we have that. Like at Sourcewheel for me, like we want to work with a certain percentage of the total staffing markets in the UK and the US by the end of next year. Um, and that's not a finish line for us. That's just a, that's a, that's a vision and a goal that we have, in, or that's a goal uh, certainly that we have in place. It's not a large scale vision um, as such, which you would normally see in a kind of uh, a more, uh, more established organization where it's, we want to be the, the number one X, Y, or Z for the people that we work with. And we were talking about some of the stuff that, that one up are doing just now before we started recording the podcast. But for me, sorry, going back because I'm, I'm waffling a little bit here for you, is the objective strategy and tactics are the, are the most important thing to be communicating to people on a, on a, on a regular basis. We have a, um, a, a regular global go-to-market update where we have everyone within our go-to-market function together. Um, that can either be every four weeks or every eight weeks, just depends on, on, on what we're doing in the business. I mean, remind everybody of what our objective, what our, strat and our strategy is, and then we update them on what the current tactics are that we're that we're focusing on. Um, you know, objectives shouldn't change unless something drastic happens. Strategy should be fairly fixed, certainly for a long period of time. Again, unless anything drastic, you know, happens. But the tactics are the things that you can mold and play around with, and that will update and and change on a regular basis. Um, and I think having that certainty around what the objective of the organisation is and what our strategy is helps us ensure that like our VP of sales, for example, Ben can put career pathways in place with people that will help them achieve their career goals in line with our strategy and objective of the, of the organization. So, um, I see. yeah, I can dig into the vision a little bit more uh, with you on that one, but uh, it's good to hear your thoughts on, on that so far. No, it's, it is, it's really interesting. And there's a quick question to you. Do you guys use like OKRs, for example, to kind of map the whole like, OST framework thing internally? It's interesting. We don't currently, um, although Ryan. Neither um, do we. Interesting. We've tried a lot of times, that. but we've kind of gone for a much more simplified version of them. Yeah, Ryan shared a, a really good book again, a book uh, with me by a guy called John Doerr, who I think is actually the, the chap that came up with OKRs at Intel. Measure um, what ma measure what matters is it or something. That's it. Yeah, that's the one. I've not had a chance to read it yet. Um, so you know, maybe maybe we'll we'll be uh, we'll be all in on OKRs by the time we finish that one, but. Um, yeah, I just don't think we're at the stage yet as an organisation. No, no, I'm not. I'm not completely educated on them. So, but I would say I don't think we're at the stage as an organisation where we where we need them right now, or maybe we do need them, and I just don't know enough about them. But keen to hear from your perspective <laughs> why why you've why you've tried a couple of times and, and moved on. 
yeah we, we've tried them a few times and just found i think they were a little bit too much overhead when we were smaller bearing in mind we tried them when we were like 15 people or so and i think probably some of the issues that you find with okrs is i trade i'm a developer and there are certain things that you can use when you're coding an app like a web app you know we all build those these days um to help you manage certain things inside of it and it's almost like if you were looking to build a small house would you bring in a crane would you bring in an excavator would you really go to the nth degree to build a two-bed house no you'd probably bring some smaller tools and sometimes the tool yeah. is just too big for the job that you want to get done to the stage that with the limited amount of time you've got you're actually spending more time putting this big overhead structure in place than actually executing so what we use at the minute yeah. is a very simplified version of okr it's just called rocks it's out of a book called traction it uh, talks about something called the entrepreneurial operating system really really interesting way to run a business not perfect and we've definitely tweaked some parts for ourselves but the idea behind a rock is we sit down once a quarter and say right what are the issues opportunities challenges in the business right now write all those down we've got 10 minutes summarize them all down and then we go through the list and kit like we, it's called kill combine or keep so kill is it's not important let's get rid of it we'll talk about it another time combine is it's really similar to another let's pull it together and keep is we like it let's keep it and then you agree seven priorities for the company that are the most important rocks to get done that quarter and this could be really simple stuff. It could be, we haven't got documentation on our expenses system and expenses are being done wrong. So we're going to get expenses done and we're going to train the team on how to do it. And that is a rock. Another one could be secure a funding round. It could be close 300 grand in revenue, whatever it might be, you choose essentially. And then once each person has been allocated out these company rocks, because you have to have one owner for them, then you go down to the individuals and say your leadership team and say, right, you can have up to three to seven rocks. I've given you one or two that's a company rock. Now you can add five or six of your own here to fill up to seven if you feel you can do seven and we do that the whole way down the company so even like our own support reps that are like fourth air quotes in terms of like reporting order they have rocks to go and work on they have little projects even if it's small things like increasing a response time for themselves whether it's writing a bit of documentation everyone has projects that they can see contributing towards our overall goal as a company so we're not trying to force a fluffy objective statement and then key results that are numbers based and really kind of metric driven we're kind of saying, look, we'll trust you guys. You know what needs to improve in your department. We're not going to tell, I'm not going to tell someone who works in support how they should be doing support. I don't do the job day to day. They do. They're Absolutely. the master expert, not me. So we'd much rather them say to them, here are our overall objectives as a company this year. As long as you're working towards that, sweet. And that for us has worked really well for the last year or so. No complaints on that front. I really like that. So do you, is the responsibility for breaking down that rock? Um, I'm getting a very visual, visual image in my mind here of breaking down that rock that's been given to the leader on that leader to then break it into smaller rocks and then distributing that kind of further down the, the, the command structure, if you like, or the hierarchy. So interestingly, we're about to try this for Q3. Previously, they weren't cascading. Like, I could have a rock around raising funding and I wouldn't then turn to the rest of the team and go, right, you've got to make sure your rocks are contributing towards that. And it's not strictly a problem. I just feel like we got a bit lazy with some of our rocks when someone's doing something very isolated by itself off in the corner. It wasn't that big a deal if it failed or not. Whereas now, if yeah. you try and put it under a structure where it is a contributor towards a larger overall rock, it's much easier to say, right, you failing means that now there's more weight that has to be lifted elsewhere. So you're instantly having a knock on someone else. So we are looking at it and I imagine we'll land on a blend of people will have some rocks that are part of the company overall structure and some will have things that they've gone and say, okay, actually this will really improve my role or it will help others to do A, B and C faster. They'll have ones that do stand alone still. We're just trying to see how we can kind of find the right match for us in terms of how we should run it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And it's trial and error, isn't it? Like with all of these things, you it know, is. I think one of the things that, that, that we do our kind of go to market updates is always, um, always really 
try to and, and through our leadership team as well, is always try to really communicate to everyone what part their um their goals have. And when I say goals, I mean um, you know, their targets, right? So whether you're a salesperson, you know, an AEA or an SDR or um, you know, marketing for inbound or customer success around like, you know, upsell and churn and, and, and everything else is showing them how that fits the kind of overall picture and show them how that helps us drive towards the kind of quarterly revenue got uh, you know revenue goal or revenue number for for that quarter so mm. um we have kind of quarterly strategic priorities on a department basis which again are kind of mainly dictated to by the leaders of those departments in terms of this is where i feel like we're going and um, it's obviously my role and my responsibility as cro to kind of set the overall kind of goal um, you know, envision for the for certainly for the go to market teams in terms of the types of organisations we see ourselves selling to over the next you know one to three years. You know, how do we start getting ourselves on the pathway to get there? But exactly like you said, like I'd like to think I'm 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 good at a lot of things, but I'm not the expert at a lot of things. Does that make sense? And that's why we have VPs of sales and 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 VPs of marketing and VPs of success where you know they can kind of really come in and take it to the next level and. And I'm really grateful, actually, for having a couple of you know people within our leadership team who can help us realise the goal and the objective, and and, and really mm. and execute things. Um, that's something that's often really underrated, uh, I think, within organisations as well. I think the thing I always look for by default. It was um, we went for a trip recently to Austin for something called SaaS Stop, which is basically where a bunch of software companies all come together and we talk about software for a few days. It's great. Um, and we took our SDR manager with us, um, along with me, my head of product, my head of CS, so really with three members of the leadership team, this guy. And he <laughs> he did a few jokey posts on LinkedIn. Mark Parsons, his name is about it, how he was observing yeah. his CEO. And he's like, he goes to the toilet like a normal human being. He's not an alien. I'm just like, yeah, cheers, Mark. Nice one. Because um, he shared a room out there. Still startup mode, saving a bit of money. Um, but what he said was he really found it interesting how we talk about a problem and instantly all three of us would be talking about the solution or the way forwards. It wouldn't just be yep. bemoaning a problem or looking, oh, this is a real pain in the back, so I can't do anything about it. Instantly, it'd be talking about problems. And I was kind of like, I've never really paused and thought about that. But a lot of it does come down to with things like rocks, I think the kind of higher up the tree you get, the bigger the problems are that you've got to try and tackle. And it's just immediately looking at it and saying, okay, then I don't have all the answers here. The team can help and I can definitely find answers externally as well. What do I need to pull together to solve this problem? And that really is probably a key leadership skill is one, being humble enough to know that you haven't got all the answers. And two, that asking for help and seeking that help in the right places will get you through those challenges. And I just think it's such like a an underrated, hidden away skill of like really successful leaders or senior people inside of a business that I'm kind of, that's what I've learned and realized over probably the last six months is that is such a key skill. Every day is a school day, right? Absolutely. I mean, that that's the job, isn't it? Really, like that's the job. That's like, the job. You know, at, at, at the board level, <laughs> really problems. the job is to be able to, is to solve problems and, and, yeah. and to, to know who to involve and, and, the process to follow to solve those problems, I think, is the is the key thing. So, at the end of every single one to one I have, whether that's with anyone on our kind of senior leadership team or kind of temporarily right now helping out in one of our departments, the, the question I always ask them at the end is is you know what kind of is there anything that's blocking your work this week that I can um, that I can take off your plate? Is there any problem that you have that is stopping you from achieving what you need to achieve that I can help you with? Um, and you sometimes I'll get something, sometimes I won't. But just asking that question always gives people that open floor to give you a problem, no matter how minuscule it is. And it's the chance of the prompt, to... ultimately. Exactly. Exactly. That. Spot on. So you said the book was called Winning by... It's by Alistair Campbell, you said, right? That's right. Yes. Or yeah, Alistair. Need to go, need to go, or... So is it by just the politician? Just just sure. That is the uh, winning. It is Winners and how they succeed, is it? Yes. 
Yes, by Alistair Campbell. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to grab it and give it a read. Actually, be really curious to dig into it, and I'll uh, let you know afterwards. <laughs> what I think. Yeah, it's the do. whole like the OST thing, objective strategy tactics. I think is really really clever. We had a really good talk at um, Sastop that I mentioned earlier from a guy called Jason Cohen who runs uh, WP Engine, and he's just had such a really good, yeah. tangible way of looking at things like vision and strategy that I was like, you know what? This is the first time I sat down and heard someone talk about strategy where it literally feels tangible. And his whole vibe was like, you know, it's about the decisions you make as a business. So, for example, um, when it comes to products, do we care about making it the prettiest thing you've ever seen? Or do we care about it being practical and getting the job done? And obviously, there are pros and cons to either decision that you weigh up and go, okay, then our selection is we're going to be practical. We want to ship a lot of features. We want to you know, build a lot of functionality for our customers to be able to use. So we're going to have to forsake product quality. Or if we want to do both of those things... That means we have a real large development team that requires more money. So we've got to get funding in. And you kind of just look at all the choices that you make kind of passively in the business without really realizing it. And just make sure those are all documented, i.e. we offer white glove support versus self-help uh, versus self-serve like support inside the, inside the product. In terms of the product, like I already mentioned, when it comes to all these different areas, making a very tangible decision and documenting it and saying, this is how we choose to operate. That to me was like, that's brilliant. That is probably the best implementation of support of um, strategy sorry, I think I've heard. So I was really taken aback by that. And by the sounds of it, the book has got some really good ideas around objectives and tactics as well, which is quite interesting. Absolutely. It was a game changer. And I think, you know, for me, um, just very briefly, because I know we're, we're probably reaching time now as well, as, um, you know, from a, a strategy perspective, we're nearly there, we've done it. Um, but the, <laughs> the strategy side of things, um, Derry, is exactly what you said. Like, there was probably a, a time where... Um, you know, throughout my career where our strategies maybe between kind of product and go to market weren't necessarily as aligned as what we would have wanted them to be. And um, we're maybe building certain features or certain products that, and it was hard for the teams to prioritize. But again, I think that comes from the top down is that we need to make sure that we're setting that strategy that people can make decisions without and know that they're aligned with people without having to check in all the time. Um, and, mm. you've, you know, you've, you've perfectly described that as well as like, what are these kind of, um, you know, subconscious decisions that we're making all of the time and, and, and how do we make sure that we articulate that to people so everyone understands what's in our minds because at board level, it's super easy for us to make decisions and ensure that as, you know, fellow board members and as a senior leadership team that we don't align, but how do we make sure that everyone across the organisation is? And I think that's where strategy plays um, a really key part. And the objective is just the why, really. It's why we're, we're you know, why we're making those decisions in that way. Um, the tactics up to the, the people in the individual departments, I suppose, um, in mm. terms of how they execute we need to start a leadership podcast as well, don't we? Let's do it. Just talk all about leadership, <laughs> all about business leadership. Why not? Because clearly it's something you and I we'll are both really interested in as well. I'm all down for sales, sales book club. I'm all in for that kind of thing. But I guess to kind of close, I, I love asking this question. I want one sales management or leadership horror story and one success story. Something you're really, really proud of, ideally involving people. You haven't got to name names for the horror story, of course. Oh God, the horror story! Wow. Um, Outside of Gianni's hotspot for one month, thing that sounds like a pretty bad horror story already. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty horrendous. That was pretty horrendous. Um, <laughs> funny, but not horrendous. I probably yeah. struggle with a horror. Honestly, I, I, I kind of struggle to look back and think on things that were absolutely horrific. Um, I think I've done the thing that most people have done at the point where, oh, there was there was one time where um, I, I reckon our team um, was becoming frustrated at a deal that wasn't closing and um, mm. had given a kind of commit on the deal twice. And I explained to them, look, there's a, you know, commits or commits. You, there's, this is a criteria for them. If you commit something, expect it to come in. You know, you've committed it for the second time. It's still not come in. Can we, can we uh, focus on it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to commit this for the third time. So he committed it for the third time. 
Um, and then the, the, the client um, had to move the goalposts on him. And he then sent a, a really frustrated email um, to me to say, listen, this has happened again. Really frustrated. Can't believe this. And and, and kind of went like, like, yeah, worse than he probably should have in a frustrated email like that. Like it would have been unprofessional to even send it to me. But the problem was he didn't send it to me. He sent it to the client. Um, and he didn't know about it at the time. So that sat for a couple of hours and the only reason I knew about it was because I then received the email forwarded onto me and asked if that's the way that people normally talk about clients in our business. And this was a few years ago. Um, and obviously it wasn't, and it was a, it was a, it was a, it was an absolute horror. So actually, do you know what? I ended up speaking to that chap and, and what it turned out was he was equally as frustrated as well. He was the man in the middle, right? He was trying to pull things over the line, but he was, there was things changing on his side and you know, the coaching and the learning from that was that as a rep, it's important that we um, understand just like no one comes to work to do a bad job, prospects don't, aren't naturally designed to mess you around. There's normally often something that you don't know and it's best to pick up the phone and ask the questions. And he actually ended up becoming a customer, a really good customer and someone that I actually still speak to today. Um, so it was a horror story that came good, but, um, but yeah, I'm sure <laughs> you'll probably turn around get much worse than that. You'll turn around <laughs> in the end. Fair enough. Um, and I would say... It's hard for me to give something like, listen, we've closed some, we, you know, I look at Audra, we, we, we secured some significant, significant um, household names um, in that organization that I'm really proud of. I think there was one in particular where, you know, we worked as an entire um, kind of go-to-market function. I worked with all our CSMs over a really long period of time to, to really bring a, bring a massive name into the business. And that was something that I'm really proud of. But I think uh, more than that, I'm just really proud of the kind of careers that we've been able to to generate for people. I look at people that I've worked with either in the past who either work in different companies now or work in the same company and have all been able to kind of go on and achieve really good things. And I'd like to think in some small way that I've been able to play a part in that. So that would probably be my, my, my thing as a kind of, as a sales leader or sales manager, I think your legacy should always be defined as the number of other leaders that you create um, or the people that go on to achieve really impressive things. And I'm just really grateful that so far I can count um, certainly a bunch of people that, that have been able to do that and, and, and like I said I'd hope that they would be able to say that, that I played a small part in that I think of the four episodes I've done so far you're the third person to give an answer like that so I need to start banning it in future I think oh, <laughs> not to completely destroy the answer because it is a very lovely I'll answer I'll another one yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see I say this to my team I'm like honestly like, people ask you know, why are you doing what you're doing still why are you still carrying on with it is the goal to sell yeah. the business for example I'm like sure one day that would be nice but for me we have a value at one up, which is enjoy the journey. And that is simply my belief that as humans, we're all conditioned towards this next goal, right? We want to worry about buying the next house or buying that next car. That's when I'll be happy. And then we get there and realize actually there's still something else we're chasing after. So enjoying that day to day, enjoying the growth that you give to people, seeing the success around you rise up and others sharing that success. That's such a big drive for me. So I'm very aligned with you in terms of creating and seeing people thrive underneath that. But I would love to ask you 10,000 more questions. We could go on for hours. Like I say, I mean, We've got, we struggled to press start on the podcast at the very start, mate, because we had so much to catch up on. But uh, I look forward to that beer in Absolutely. London at some point, or coffee, or water, whatever your health suggests at the time. Um, <laughs> but I look forward to it, mate. Massive thank you for your time. It's been really insightful as well. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, I'm certainly looking forward to that catch up as well. Cheers, Daddy. Cheers, man.